Well, good evening, Salt Company Cedar Falls, or good afternoon for where I'm at right now. Uh, my name's Josiah, if I don't know you guys, um, but if I do, man, I hope you guys are making it through this incredibly weird season that we're in as a ministry and as a nation. Um, I'm currently in Florida shooting this in my parents' bedroom, which is a little bit weird not to be giving this to you guys, uh, but recording it through the video, but bear with me as we move through it. Um, guys, the coronavirus has changed everything about the way that we live. We no longer gather as a group. We no longer meet as a ministry. We no longer go to a college campus. We take online classes. I don't know if you've heard yet. Um, we no longer hug, we elbow bump. This virus has changed everything about the way that we live, except for one group of people that have chosen to ignore all the warning signs and live like nothing has changed. And you may have heard of them. They're most famously known as the spring break idiots. Guys, amidst this entire coronavirus pandemic, there have been a group of college students, and you've probably seen this on the news, who have traveled down to Florida to party on the beach, to act like this whole thing hasn't happened. And they're dancing next to each other, they're passing drinks, they're just partying and then all traveling back home. It's the complete opposite thing of what we've been asked to do amidst the coronavirus. And one guy said this in an article I was reading. They interviewed him and he said, if I get corona, I get corona. At the end of the day, I'm not gonna let it stop me from partying. Spring break idiot. Guys, what we're gonna find tonight in Ephesians chapter five is this. Paul is writing to a group of completely new believers who've been changed not by a virus, but who have had their lives changed by the gospel. And Paul is gonna give all of them and he's gonna give all of us this warning. Don't go back to the way that you used to live. Don't be like the spring break idiots. Your life has changed. And in this warning, he is going to push this church and he is going to push all of us to live a new life that is completely in the light. And guys, here's the big idea for tonight if you're taking notes. The big idea is this. Children of God don't walk in darkness. They walk in the light. I'll say that again. Children of God don't walk in darkness. They walk in the light. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians 5 tonight, verses 1 through 21. I'm going to read the first five verses. Therefore, be imitators of God, as dearly loved children, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for the saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognize this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not 
have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. So Paul starts our text, Ephesians 5, by listing multiple sins that Christians should have nothing to do with. And he's continuing a thought from chapter 4. Some of you were there when Stephen unpacked that on what living a new life in Christ looks like. And Paul, at the beginning of our text, he mentions three things that we should have nothing to do with. First is this, sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Guys, sexual immorality comes from the word porneia. And what porneia meant was any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. What Paul's saying is that anything sexually impure or any kind of just sexual activity that is not fitting for the context of marriage that God has made shouldn't be heard of. And then the second thing he mentions is greed. Greed. Greed is the craving. It is the desire for what you don't have. And greed often fleshes itself out in many different ways. Sometimes it can be a sexual craving and desire for what you don't have. Other times it's a craving or desire for money that you don't have, or a job that you don't have, or a body that you want but that you don't have. Paul says greed shouldn't be heard of. And the last thing he mentions is coarse and foolish talking or joking, Paul says that even the way that you talk, the words that you use should be pleasing to God. They shouldn't be coarse. They shouldn't be foolish. And I want you to see how how serious Paul is about Christians having nothing to do with these things. He says sexual immorality, impurity, greed, Coarse and foolish talking, look at the words he uses in verse 3, should not even be heard of among you. Another translation says that these things, there shouldn't be even a hint of these things in your life. And then he says in verse 3, for these things are not proper for the saints. These things are not proper for God's people. And guys, the overarching theme of what Paul is trying to say from chapter four now into chapter five is this. Following Jesus means living one life, not two. I'll say that again. If you're taking notes, following Jesus means living one life, not two. That's what he's warning Christians to avoid any bit of duplicity, any bit of sexual immorality, any bit of greed, any bit of coarse and foolish talking, don't compromise in those areas. Don't be okay with living in those things. And I wanna show you what Paul says to those who are okay with living a double life. He says, He gives this incredibly strong warning in Ephesians 5, verse 5. He says, For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. 
Now, what Paul is not saying here in verse 5 is he's not trying to just scare the living daylights out of Christians. He's actually speaking to a different group of people. Keep in mind, he is speaking to the church. He is speaking to a group of believers. But oftentimes, there was another group of people who associated with believers. And they are the religious lost. The religious lost. These people claim to follow Jesus, but they live a completely different life. They live in patterns of sin. They live unrepentantly, and they think that they can have both. They think they can hang around the Christian bubble. They can be in their Thursday night, their Sunday morning swing, but on the whole other side of their life, they are living in duplicity. And what Paul is saying in this warning, verse five, is that, that you can't live a double life. You either follow Jesus or you don't. And guys, this might be some of you. You're a religious person. You're in the religious bubble. You might even attend a connection group. But if we all looked at your life, your life looks nothing like the person of Christ. And this is the warning that Paul has for you is you can't have both. You can't have Jesus and freely indulge in sin on the side. But for many of us and many of the people that Paul was writing to, they were true believers and they weren't openly living in a double lifestyle. But the question that we all have to ask ourselves, based on how serious Paul is about duplicity and about sin, is this. In what area of your life are you compromising holiness? In what area of your life are you compromising holiness? For some of you, it's sexual sin. You have slowly become okay with compromising in a dating relationship. And you justify it because it's not that bad and it's not as bad as these people and we can handle it and you're living in sin with that person. Or for some of you, your sexual sin looks different. It's in an addiction to pornography and masturbation, and you've become okay with it, especially in the midst of this whole coronavirus, because nobody's asking you how you're doing, and you have become okay compromising in the things that you're watching, the things that you're searching the things that you're sending, the things that you do when nobody's looking. Paul says, not even a hint. For others of you, you may be compromising in the way that you talk. The way that you talk outside of your Christian circles actually isn't God honoring at all. The way that you talk about other people, you'd never say to their face. For others of you, your compromising may be in greed. You give all your time and your energy to what you don't have yet. 
If I got that job, I'd finally be happy. Or if I had that relationship, I'd finally be full. If I had that paycheck or I had that number in my savings, I'd finally be happy with my life. And so you orient your time, your thoughts, your money, all towards what you don't have. Paul is telling us all this. Don't even have a hint of these things. These things, compromise, should not even be heard of among true Christ followers. They don't belong in the life of Christians. So Paul has told us what we should run from. He's made it very clear. But now he's going to tell us why. Why we should have nothing to do with these things. And this is incredibly important. Because if you don't understand the why behind these super heavy and strong words that Paul has, you miss everything. And for some of you, even the words that I'm saying that Paul has for you just feel like a list of rules and like judgmental on your own life. We have to understand the why. Why is Paul saying what he is? Well, there's one thing in the opening five verses that Paul tells us we should actually run towards. He's given us this laundry list of things to stay away from, but there's one thing that we should actually pursue. And I didn't catch it the first time I read through this. I didn't even pay attention to it, and you probably haven't either, but check this out. It comes at the end of verse four. I'll start in verse three, but sexual morality, any impurity, greed should not even be heard of among you. Coarse and foolish talking, crude joking are not suitable, but rather, here it is, giving thanks. Giving thanks. Seems a little bit odd. And I never paid attention to it because it seems like it's just something Paul threw in there. Like, ah, give thanks. Like, that's a good thing to do. Like, if I was writing this letter, I maybe would have said, like, be pure, have integrity. But Paul's clear. He says, give thanks. What does he mean? Well, here's the thing about giving thanks. Giving thanks is a direct result of something being done for you that is undeserved. For example, if you go to the grocery store, your bill comes out to five bucks. You hand the cashier at Hy-Vee a 10 and they give you $5 back. You are not giving thanks and rejoicing over that. Why? Because that's what you deserve. You deserve your five bucks back. But imagine this scenario. Voice crack right there. You, you hand them your five bucks and the cashier, instead of giving you your five back, looks around, pulls out a hundred dollar bill and gives you a hundred bucks. Keep the change. Then you would be giving thanks. Why? Because that is completely undeserved. You deserve five bucks, but what you got was a hundred. You got something you didn't deserve. Guys, how did the Ephesian letter start? Chapter two, Paul says this, you were dead in your trespasses. You were 
slaves to your sin. You were by nature children under wrath. We all deserve, because of our sin, the wrath of God. That's who we were. But what happened? But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to be adopted by his son, Jesus Christ. He made known to us the mystery of his will. He lavished on us the riches of his mercy and grace. And what does he intend to do with us? Seat us in the heavens that we might become trophy displays of his grace. And now we go to verse one and two of our text. I have been waiting to get to these verses. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, be imitators of God as who? As dearly loved children. And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We went from being called in the opening verses of Ephesians from children under wrath to dearly loved children. The why behind our obedience to Christ is directly linked to what has already been done for us. We have gone from children completely under wrath to dearly loved. This is why Paul says have nothing to do with sexual immorality. This is why Paul says have nothing to do with greed, coarse or foolish talking. This is why Paul uses such strong language. Don't let compromise or any sin be heard of among you. And he's not saying these things so that we can please a God up in heaven with a rule book. He's saying these things because God is already pleased with us. And he gave us something that we never deserved. New life by the precious blood of his son, Jesus. And the only fitting response to being given new life in Christ, something we never deserved, is to give thanks for it. If you want to honor God in the way that you live, you first need to know this, your position in Christ. It's a dearly loved child. He is already pleased. He has given everything for you on your behalf. And only when you understand, which we never fully will, the love that he has for us, will we be so moved that we will start living differently. So Paul has told us what we should avoid. He's given us the beautiful why before it because we're dearly loved child, children. And now he has two practical ways for us children of God to live in the light. And for some of you who have been hearing this message and convicted for maybe different ways that you're living in compromise or duplicity, these are the words you need to hear from Paul. Let me read verses six through nine. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. 
Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. The first way, if you're taking notes, the first way we walk as children of God is this. We don't partner with disobedient people. We don't partner with disobedient people. Notice what Paul says, verses 6 through 7. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. Now, I want to clarify what Paul isn't saying. Paul is not saying to not associate with unbelievers. He is not saying that you should just avoid sinful people. Keep in mind, Paul, perhaps maybe the most missional person to ever live besides Jesus. But the word Paul uses is this word partner. He says, don't partner with disobedient people. And he actually uses a different word for partner in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And I think the word he uses here gives us is a very helpful image of what he's trying to say. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He uses this word yoke. Guys, a yoke was a piece of farming equipment. And it's what attached two cows together so that they could pull the plow evenly. And it was crucial that these two cows were evenly yoked. Because if you attached a less experienced cow to a more experienced one, that, that they would be pulling at different directions and the plow would be destroyed. No farming would get done. Well, imagine throwing like a goat in there with another cow. That would just be a disaster. The two animals that pulled the plow had to be moving and pushing and pulling at the same speed so that the farming could get done. What Paul is saying is this. Don't partner. Don't yoke yourself to disobedient people. Don't do what they do. Proverbs 13.20 says this, He who walks with wise men will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Guys, if you're studying for a big test, you don't study with the kid who only comes once a week, right? You don't study with the dropout. You find the smartest kid in the class and you study with them. Hey, can, I, can we study together? If you're trying to get physically fit, you don't, you don't train with somebody who is severely out of shape. You train with someone who's more fit than you because you want to get physically fit with them. Guys, if you want to be godly, you surround yourself with godly people. My question for you is this, who are you yoked to? Who are you partners with? Who are the five people in your life that you spend the most time around? I'm telling you this, you will become the sum of those five people. If you're okay, if the people that you spend time with are okay with getting drunk, you will soon find yourself being okay with that. 
If you walk with people who are okay with compromising and sexual immorality, you will soon start doing the things that they do. If you are walking with people who speak a certain way that is dishonoring, you will soon find yourself talking like them. You become who, who the people that you are with. If you wanna live in the light, you don't partner with disobedient people. You partner yourself with godly people. So that's the first way we walk in the light. Here's the second way. It comes from verses 11 through 14. This is how Paul closes. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. The second way that we walk in the light is this. We expose sin in our lives. We expose sin in our lives. Paul uses this beautiful illustration of light and darkness. And what he says is that everything that is exposed by the light is made clear. Guys, we had a basement in Cedar Falls that quickly became the best place to have a sleepover ever. Because here's the thing about our basement. There was not one window in that main living room space. So what me and my friends would do is we would get junk food, get our video games, get our pop, all the, all the junk and head straight down to the basement. And I'm telling you, you would go down there and you would be, people would go missing for weeks. You'd go down there on a Friday night and wake up on a Sunday morning because there was no light being allowed into this room. You lose all sense of time. If you tried to get up, you couldn't because you can't find your phone. That thing's missing. If you have to pee, you don't. You can't go to the bathroom. You don't know where it is. You just pee the bed right there. If you have to, if you had work the next day, cancel it. Like you're gonna lose your job before you make it out of this basement you would be lost. It was like this witch just casted a spell. There was no light in this place. Well, the one thing that would never fail to wake us up <coughs> was when my father would come downstairs and turn on the light switch. We had these huge overhead lights in our basement. They were all connected to one light switch and he would come down, flip that thing on, and it was like you were staring into the face of the sun in an instant. It was just painful, just mind-blowing amounts of light would hit you all at once. And it was so painful at first. You're like, get it off me. You've been in the dark. You're all like pasty white. You look gross. But moments after that initial sting of the lights being flipped on, your eyes began to adjust. And you actually woke up from your sleep. Clarity was back on your life. You look around you, there's gummy worms on you. You're like, who have I become? I missed work. I haven't been to work in a week. Like you, you finally came to your senses and staggered out of the basement up into the fresh sunlight, breathing in air for the first time. 
Guys, some of you, as we've been talking about compromise, have let your sin sit in the dark for far too long. You've been hiding it, keeping it a secret, keeping it in the basement, letting it grow progressively worse and worse. So scared to flip on that light switch because what will people think of me? What if it stings? What will people say? Will I lose this friendship? Will I lose this relationship if I'm open and honest about what I've been hiding? I'm a leader. What will people say about me? Some of you are so scared to to reveal the darkness that you've been hiding, but I'm telling you this. The initial sting of confessing your sin, just being open and honest about it and bringing it into the light, it's only momentarily. And what follows that momentarily, just momentarily sting is healing. What follows is clarity. What follows is becoming spiritually awake again. Love what he says, 14, get up sleeper, rise up from the dead and the Messiah will shine on you. My last question for you guys is this, as you begin to discuss this in your circles, what sin are you hiding right now? What do you need to confess and bring into the light today? Guys, the big idea for this message is this. Children of God don't walk in darkness. They walk in the light. And Paul tells us to walk in the light in two ways. Don't partner with disobedient people and expose your sin. How do you need to respond to this text? Who might you need to stop spending time around and start spending time around? And what might you need to bring into the light? I'm telling you, when we have experienced the beautiful grace of all that Jesus has given us, when we've become not children under wrath, but now dearly loved children, it changes the way that we live. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this sermon. It's definitely unique preaching to a camera. And I know some of the things that I said were maybe confusing and I'm sweating But God, your word is not changing. And God, you have a high calling for your children. And it's because our calling came at a high price and it was the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you looked at us who were dead in our sin and you chose to provide another way. You chose to give us new life in you. And I pray for the students of Salt Company Cedar Falls that we would, be, we would be followers of you that expose sin in our life, that don't compromise, God. Everybody has the temptation to compromise, to live in sin. It's hardwired into our DNA. But God, I pray that for those that are feeling the weight to their sin, even now, that we would be pushed to be people that find godly people and surround ourselves with them, not partnering with disobedient people, and people that bring our sin into the light that confess it regularly. Jesus, we love you. We're broken people, and we're doing our best to walk in the light. God, thank you that you're already pleased with us. All of our righteousness is all at the same level at the foot of the cross, God. We love you. 
We're so thankful for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, it was great getting to teach you guys. I hope you are making it through this weird season. And I can't wait for the next time we get together all together and I get to see you guys. See you later.